how much longer? <laughs> we'll start it over. It's fine. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> all the way water. In the water. Water. That's why you you can read your Bible and still be an idiot. Yeah, so I, I think that um, I think it'd be really dope if our church this year just kind of throw around this topic. Obviously, like th- there's time constraints um, on in the sermon, um, so I, I love that we can just gather and I talk about it here in what more detail. So um, I guess just to start off, kick us off. Uh, the first question that I have for everybody is, uh, what initially stands out to you? Um, about slavery and, and the way that Exodus talks about it. Um, what are some initial thoughts that come to mind? Hmm. Hmm. I think, so when I read Exodus, uh, the thing that I'm most impressed with at the beginning here is that God's people are being blessed by God. They're flourishing, they're multiplying, hmm. and... Uh, the slavery that they start to experience is an attempt by, you know, a political leader or whatever to uh, oppress and to keep that down, mm-hmm. to sort of tamp down the blessing of God. <clears throat> so that oppression comes as like a, uh, they, they're trying to keep God's blessing under, you know, under thumb. Mm-hmm. And it's just not, it doesn't work. Like mm-hmm. it literally says that God's people flourished under the oppression. Mm-hmm. So I find that to be very interesting because that's a theme we see elsewhere in Scripture. Yeah, that's good, man. That's good. Yeah, yeah. And and to me, some of the things that have stuck out is just how how real the framework of the narrative feels. Like you've got you've got a, an ethnic minority, you've got God's people group who are like growing and flourishing in, in a rival nation, and uh, what you see Pharaoh respond with is the framework of of fear, slavery, and murder. Which just seems to be the framework where bad things like this have historically happened. <coughs> you know, whether that's Nazi Germany, it's kind of a pattern like that. Whether that's American, America's own history of mm-hmm. slave trade, it's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. And so just like the, the realism of this narrative has really gripped me as we've studied it mm-hmm. together. Yeah, dude. It has felt really real. I, I, you know, I, I've come away from every sermon feeling like, man, like this is like... This is real life right here. Like this is real suffering and and fear. So it's been really cool to see that. What else? Well, what's interesting is in Exodus three we see God's motivation for wanting to deliver them from slavery. Um, it's it's just it's interesting not only what is the stated motivation, where, but where what you is Exodus three. Okay. But it's also interesting in what is not stated as the motivation for delivering them out of slavery. So we see in verse 7, God says, I've surely seen the affliction of my people. So we have the, the people of Israel are suffering under slavery. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Mm-hmm. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egypt's. And then you see that this is the second reason, to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So you have the language that sort of harkens back to the Abrahamic promise Mm -hmm. that he's he's taking them to to a land where they're going to be blessed and where they're going to be a blessing. And so you see the, the two motivations are to comfort a suffering people and to... Uh, bring those to fulfill the promise that he had originally made to their forefather Abraham. In our modern English translations, uh, the word slave kind of gets uh, confusing. The word serving gets confusing because we use those interchangeably and we use them interchangeably in places where they're not actually interchangeable. Um, so that's kind of an interesting thing. He is. He is against man-stealing, as some translations refer to yeah. it as, or yeah. kidnapping. We yes. see that in the Old Testament. We right. see that in the New Testament mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And that's our, when we think of mm-hmm. American slavery, that's what we think yes. of. We see that word right. slavery, right. we associate it yeah. as Americans with what has happened. This is actually the that's 400th key. year, yes. uh, yeah. 400th anniversary since slavery started in North America. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we, so when we see slavery in the Bible, we mm-hmm. automatically think that's what it's talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Uh, when that's not always what it's talking about. Yeah. Yeah, and I, that's, I think yeah. that's really interesting you say that because, like, you know, Paul would say, like, slavery to Christ is actually good. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what type of slavery are we talking about? Yeah. So, um, 
Man, okay. That was good. Did you, did you have thoughts on that, Cole? Because you, you kind of pressed into it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, I, was, I, I wanted to hear you talk a little bit more about that just because I've never heard it as frankly phrased as you just did there. Um, but I do think you're right. Like, I think... As a, as a 21st century follower of Jesus, we, whether or not we admit it, we kind of believe that Moses in the Old Testament or Paul in the New Testament has the framework of the transatlantic slave trade mm-hmm. and is working backwards from there mm-hmm. and then writing narratives that either support it mm-hmm. or are antagonistic yeah, towards it. Exactly. And that's just, that's just not the case. Like, there hasn't been an African who's gone from Africa to the New World when Moses wrote this, or when Paul wrote the New Testament epistles. Mm-hmm. So um, context is key. Yeah. So yeah. you nailed yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you guys nailed it there. Yeah. Self, you nailed it. Um, I guess just to clarify, uh, what what sort of slavery then is are we talking about here in Exodus? So we're not talking about transatlantic slave trade, right? But what what sort of slavery are we talking about? Just for context. Well, most, I feel like most basically, one of the things you notice, um, like if you read about any like other ancient Near Eastern cultures, is that most of the subjects of the ruler were considered slaves in its most basic sense. Mm-hmm. You know, you were indebted to the ruler to fulfill certain duties. Mm-hmm. That might include farming, um, working domestic chores that needed to be done, uh, building projects. Mm-hmm. There were certain expectations of you as a, as a subject. Um, and a lot of the, in most of those cases, they're foreigners. Mm-hmm. So that was in, including um, Hebrew s- experiences of slavery later when they become their own nation. Mm-hmm. Um, it was common for them to have slaves, but they were not supposed to be their own. So I think that's another interesting dimension of um, biblical motifs of slavery and servitude, uh, servanthood. Mm-hmm. So. I feel like that's at its most basic level. Like, if you're a subject of Pharaoh, you're a slave to Pharaoh. And then yeah. it builds out from there. Yeah. yeah, you have these ethnic Hebrews who are in uh, ethnic Egyptian country, and Pharaoh's like, I've got some stuff that I want to do. And these people are, they seem to be rising up, they seem to be growing, and I don't want them to be able to overthrow our government. I don't want them to be able to team up with our people. So, I mean, we, we get pretty into that context as soon as Exodus 1. Uh, one starts and it says and Pharaoh the king of Egypt said to his people behold the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us come let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply so yeah there's lots of different interpretations that people have what is what is uh, what did the Hebrew slavery actually look like was it something they uh, had different levels of slavery that uh, had different expectations was it just work that they were doing that they weren't getting paid for that they were you know if they messed up it was heavy-handed uh punishment if they did that because later on in exodus we see that um, the egyptian government was helping them gather straw to build bricks but then after moses tells pharaoh to let god's people go they say all right we're going to make it more difficult for you guys and we're not even going to help you gather the straw so you have to do the same amount of work but you're also you have to you have the same amount of your your, uh, quota for the day is the same but we're going to make your work more difficult you're going to have some more jobs to do to help that so so they are have people that are probably dependent on the Egyptian government for provision, mm-hmm. uh, for shelter. They're being allowed to live in this land, and they're saying, this is what you have to do. You have to do whatever I say, when I say it, how I say it. Um, so it's this, this controlling of this people group. They are enslaved to Egypt and to the king of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Yep. They weren't stolen out of another land. Right. They were there. God sent his people yeah. into Egypt. Right. Right. Um, but yeah. then they start to be fruitful and multiply, and Pharaoh doesn't like that. So he says, mm-hmm. I'm going to make these people do what I say and they're going to be my slaves. That's good, man. Yeah, yeah. Which I think probably what you were saying what you said earlier. Like, <laughs> this isn't a North American understanding of slavery. It was They were there and then Pharaoh, he didn't kidnap them, but he, they were there and he made them do what he said. Yeah, like, well, so God's primary concern was not the fact that they were enslaved, but they were being afflicted in their slavery. That yeah. it was his firstborn son that was being held in captivity. And what's interesting about their situation there and at, at the beginning of Exodus is that if we read the end of Genesis, the reason why they're in this circumstance to begin with is actually God's plan to save them from a famine. It's God's grace to them that they're in this circumstance. So it's not like with the, uh, with like the man-stealing situation 
where it's not like the Egyptians went out, captured the, the Jewish people, and brought them in underneath them and ruled over them as slave masters in that sense. The Jewish people went to them for help mm. and were being, as a blessing from God, were receiving uh, food and a, a comfortable place mm-hmm. to live under the rule of Pharaoh mm-hmm. um, as a blessing from God mm-hmm. <laughs> so that they would survive through famine. Through a famine, they were yeah. being sold yeah. into slavery. And, and what's also interesting is that when you see uh, Pharaoh's motivation, I think somebody read the verse, where Pharaoh recognized that they were gonna, there were too many Jews. So the, the reason why Pharaoh increased his, um, his demands upon them was because he saw them as a political threat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily because he looked at them and said, oh, they're two-thirds or three-fifths human, mm-hmm. or that mm-hmm. they are inherently <clears throat> inferior to the Egyptian people. It was, no, they're a threat to our way of life mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the number of them um, in comparison with the, with the Egyptian people. So there's big distinctions between what's happening here and what happened in early America. Early America. Right, so we're, we're talking about, we're holding up our understanding of American slavery. We're contrasting that with the type of slavery we see God's people in in Exodus. And we're saying on several different levels, this breaks down and it's not the same thing. Yes. On, on one level, this breaks down because this isn't people stealing out of a different country to accomplish purposes. Mm-hmm. On, on another level, this is breaking down because the ultimate narrative punch that God's trying to communicate is not, I'm ending slavery. But there is another level where these two have some connections with each other. And we would all condemn what Pharaoh is doing, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good. Good, yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. It's just sometimes when we, you know, compare and contrast, like, yeah. well, mm-hmm. it's not actually the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think what our church and what our people can hear is, are they defending what Pharaoh is doing? And yeah. nobody's yeah. doing that at all. Yeah. We would condemn yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, I think what we're just trying to do right now is get clarity is what I would say on yeah. what's, actually, what's actually is here. Um, yeah. So in that same breath, though, what are the similarities? Yeah. Um. Yeah, what, so what similarities do we see as we look back at, you know, you said it'd be 400 years this year of slavery in America and then look back at uh, the slavery of, yeah, here in Exodus. What, what similarities do we see? Well, one is, I think apparently the oppressor has the power over life and death mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. they can choose to exterminate a group of mm-hmm. babies. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. 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 Man. What else? Yeah, being targeted because of your ethnicity mm-hmm. is definitely a similarity. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's Pharaoh and oppressing and uh, targeting Hebrews or uh, Anglo's uh, targeting uh, Africans because mm-hmm. of their skin color, because of poor theology, they mm-hmm. think that they're justified in doing mm-hmm. that because they are lesser. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is some type of labor problem in both examples. Right here, there does appear to be a labor problem that Pharaoh's created around himself, even though that's not his primary motivator. And obviously, with the New World, we there was a huge labor problem, and unfortunately, one people group looked to another people group to fulfill that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ability to leave the of the slaves to leave the situation they're in. God's mm-hmm. people try multiple times to to leave, and he says no after plagues and such well I think also just uh, the degree of suffering that existed in both the among the African peoples under slavery and in the Jewish people in this circumstance there were attempts to make the horrible conditions more horrible than what they already were and I think the the dehumanizing circumstance Mm -hmm. of Pharaoh was not looking to use the power dynamics to lift up and courage and see the flourishing of the Jewish people. He was using his, the power dynamics to oppress mm-hmm. and make things more difficult and, and, and destructive for the people. And I think that there's, that's a very close similarity to what mm-hmm. we see happening in early American. Mm-hmm. Treating yeah. people as animals. Yeah. In yeah. some cases, mm-hmm. worse than animals. Worse than animals, yeah. Yeah, yeah dude. Oh, man. Um, 
why is this why is this bad? I know this might be a simple question, but but why why is that wrong? When we look at when we think about our um our biblical worldview, why is why is that wrong? Slavery in general? Or yeah. It defies the basic reality that humans are made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And therefore, to be treated with dignity and respect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I also think it's a lopsiding of, like, what slavery highlights is that there's duties and then there's liberties. There's, there's duties to fulfill to your master and then there's liberties. And so that uh, the worst form of slavery, like chattel slavery, you're treated as property. You're all duty, no rights. Mm-hmm. Um and in some of the things we're talking about with the other types of slavery in the Bible is that that's a little more, ideally that would be more balanced mm-hmm. um, if you're entering into some sort of labor servitude mm-hmm. to pay off debts or whatever. So that starts to balance itself out. And you see that in Leviticus and other areas where there's actual commands mm-hmm. to treat the slaves with yeah. dignity and mm-hmm. give them basic freedoms. Mm-hmm. Something we didn't, we didn't see in American slavery. There was hardly any rights at all, you know. So that's where the imbalance comes in. You're like... This is evil and it degrades mm-hmm. the, the image of God. Because given that we're made in the image of God, we have rights. Yeah. Uh, we have we have value, worth, and dignity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're people, not property. Mm-hmm. So yeah, man. You know what's interesting is that like most, a lot of the the slaveholders in America were self-professing Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, Frederick Douglass, he's uh, this activist, but he's also like he was a runaway slave. Um, he has this quote, and I'm going to butcher it, but he says, um, oh, gosh, I can't, I'm going to, I'm going to, can you, can you look it up real sure. quick? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially he's like, just the, he, he hits on the hypocrisy of the Christian, so mainly his terms, the the Christian white man who professes like freedom in Christ and and the, the liberties that come with uh, being a, a follower of Jesus, yet not extending those same basic liberties to, to slaves. Um, it's, it's interesting, man, how this book has been used. Um, it's a picture of me. Um, this book has been used to, to manipulate and, and, and hurt um, but but what is hopeful is the way that is the fact that we look here in in the end of Exodus two and the beginning of Exodus three that God actually responds to suffering. Mm-hmm. So, um, in light of that, what what can we learn about the way? Um, what can we learn about God and His response to Israel's slavery? What does this say about God? Essentially, I'll just read. Um, and Stephen, you're preaching on this Saturday, so or Sunday, for Christians here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sunday. It says twenty three, right? Is that what you're preaching on? Mm-hmm. Um, so Exodus two twenty three to twenty four. During those, during those many days, uh, the king of Egypt died. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Oh, I'm getting chills just like reading that. <laughs> what, what does that say about our God? He's responsive to suffering, uh, of course. Yeah. It, it also flies in the face of, I think, a, a misconception of the way the Bible talks about slavery is that, oh, it condones slavery. Mm. Some folks say that. Oh, mm-hmm. it condones slavery. Because there's other passages in the New Testament where you, it seems that it indicates that we're supposed to just take it. You know, the oppression <clears throat> and suffering that we have, we're mm-hmm. supposed to take it. And it's like, that's mm-hmm. not how God is pictured here. Yeah. God is um, active in his listening and he's active mm-hmm. in his desire to free them mm-hmm. and liberate them. Because it, it flies in the face of his original intention, which, which is to create a people that liberally enjoy the gifts of creation yeah. uh, in the presence of God. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's just really interesting that that, 
Pharaoh's response to having work to be done and, and the labor problem is so different than than, than God's response, like in, in Genesis 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. There's all of this mm-hmm. earth that needs to be subdued and it needs right. to be brought into flourishing. And you actually, you mentioned that even a lot of like incredible theologians have unfortunately like throughout history fallen prey to justifying slavery. Mm-hmm. And the truth is like, Man, like we we got the same genetics as that we we have the same fallen nature. Had I been in their shoes, I pro- I hate saying this, but I probably would have felt the same way, man. That breaks my heart. But you even read some classic theologians, and I was reading one today who said, I don't how I don't know how North America would have been brought into flourishing without slave, mm. without slave ownership. But what's interesting in Genesis one and two is that you don't just have North America uninhabited; <clears throat> you have the entire world besides Eden. And right. God's response is not, okay, Adam and Eve, you guys need some slaves to get this done. Right. God's response is, work it, keep it, care for it. It's going to be slow. Don't exploit it. Right. Once you exploit it, then you're going to need slaves. Work it, keep it, and mm. care for it. Right. So his response is totally different. Mm. Mm. That's interesting, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. I remember reading that passage as a kid and thinking, God just now all of a sudden saw what's going on. Mm. Um that's just with pro, like poor understanding of the Bible. So it's it's not that's not what it's saying that God just like oh surprise oh yeah remember I told you guys mm. all these years ago that this was gonna happen I forgot I just realized that this was going on but it, oh God hearing <clears throat> and remembering yeah mm-hmm. yeah um, but that um, like he he heard he saw and he knew and then later we see God speak and act so mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting thing is like it communicates the presence of God in the midst of our suffering mm-hmm. and then knowing that he is not distant from us like yeah, that brings right. comfort it brings peace mm-hmm. and then knowing that he, right. will, he will fulfill his promises mm-hmm. right? right because he sees because he hears because he knows mm-hmm. he will act and he will speak yeah. um, and so we'll see as Exodus unfolds him speaking and acting in right. many ways yeah. Yeah. Right. which is the point of Exodus too right? like you, that's what you're or it's the point of Exodus also uh like you said earlier, the, you, the liberation is not the point of Exodus. It's not the main point. Like, it's not liberated and then nothing, right? Freed from slavery to what? Well, it's up the mountain to get, you know, the, the law, and then all of a sudden we get the presence of God. So, like, it all terminates towards you're out of oppression with this thing, and now you're put into a relationship with your real master, you know? So the presence of God is, like, the end goal, um, which it makes this so heartbreaking to see because you're, you just feel their distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, God is, you know, seeing their suffering, and they're in this position where they're not flourishing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they just wanted to be with God and flourish, um, which is I think at the heart of most people's suffering in like modern life. It's like I just want to, I just want to be near to God. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I feel like that's a strong theme. That gets drawn out all over Exodus, <clears throat> and that that felt need of being crushed and wanting to be near God, that that like deeply, richly human experience, and that that deep need really informs so much of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Like you, Andrew, you're sharing about that pattern of God hearing and remembering and drawing near and being present with His people, and that just becomes so thematic throughout the library of the scripture mm-hmm. that God's referred to as one who's who's near the brokenhearted, mm-hmm. who's close to the oppressed, who loves and draws mm-hmm. near to the crushed, and they're they're not doing and pulling theology and scriptures mm-hmm. out of thin air. In a lot of ways, they're looking back to this yeah. story as a template and as yeah. a blueprint and yeah. making theological conclusions mm-hmm. and saying. Oh, that's what God is like. Yeah, that's right. His nature. That's not just one thing He did back then. Right, He's like that, dude. I, and I think that's why. I, I honestly, I think that's why so many American slaves were converted to Christianity is because they had secretly or however they got it, they had the story of of, of Exodus, um, where they saw God present in the midst of suffering in the midst of harm in the midst of sin and um and saw his 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 hand working in in all of it you know there's this book um uh it's called uh being black on being black and reformed and he, and he uh anthony carter is the author uh, author i believe and he talks about you know the sovereignty of god and that like that calvinistic or reformed theology like is actually, it's extremely helpful for a black Christian who 
is trying to pursue God with the backdrop of slavery. Yeah. Because it says, like, oh my gosh, like, like God's sovereign hand took my ancestors. It was evil. Took my ancestors from Africa to America. And through this evil act, like, they got a hold of the gospel. And, like, I mean, that's my experience is, like, I've, I've always known pastors since, you know, I was yay high in my family. And it's that, that faith that was passed down in the midst of suffering. And so God's sovereign hand in the midst of suffering has been something that, like, I've really picked up from Exodus as I've, I've, as I've learned, like, okay, what does this tell me about God? It's like that God is not only sovereign and in control, but he's, like, good. He's good in the midst of that, even when we don't understand, even when, like, these atrocities are just terrible, um, that he's good and that he's gathering a people for himself in the midst of everything. Um, yeah, I was going to talk to that sovereign piece. Mm-hmm. When we look at just the narrative, again, going from Genesis into and through the Israel's exodus out of Egypt, mm-hmm. um, the vision of that it presents of God's sovereign wisdom and God's sovereign care for his people is incredible because mm-hmm. one could be tempted, you know, to say when we look at the beginning of Exodus, say, well, what kind of God would allow his people to be enslaved for 430 years to begin with? Mm-hmm. Right? Like that just seemed like why would God allow the you know, chapter two, verse twenty-three to, to even come up? Because I mean, he, he allowed them to be in a situation where he was distant and he had to hear the people's cries <coughs> from all this suffering. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how does that come about? But when we see the, the sort of the arc of the narrative, it shows the sovereign wisdom of God in all this. Because when, we, when you understand what's happening in Genesis, where God, you, through the whole uh, Joseph narrative, Dude, you know... Yeah incredible injustice his brothers sold, sold, sell him into slavery mm-hmm. he ends up in Egypt and then at the very end of that what God what you meant for evil God meant for good mm-hmm. and now the people are in in Egypt saved from famine and in that circumstance that gets turned into now they're all into slavery and now they all need to be rescued mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you have this massive situa- situation of injustice again mm-hmm. and then God brings justice through it and yeah and and the pain that the people are experiencing the suffering they're experiencing culminates in the entire egyptian army being destroyed by god in the in in the red sea so there's just this it's just it's an incredibly moving Mm -hmm. vision of god's sovereignty and Mm -hmm. wisdom to accomplish not only the salvation of his people Mm -hmm. from oppression but to also bring Justice where there's been injustice for his people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what's what's happening to the to the Hebrews in the first couple chapters of Exodus on a small scale mm-hmm. is also happening, like you're saying, to Israel on a large scale throughout the entire scriptures. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. there's this. If you don't feel the tension in it, you just don't get the story mm-hmm. of being like, hold on a second. Well. While Moses is in Pharaoh's courts for 40 years, God's people are enslaved over here. Mm -hmm. And hold on a second. While Moses is out hanging out in the wilderness with the Midianites for another 40 years, God's people are in slavery over there. (coughs) And you get this sense of God's sovereign care that he's developing this very lowercase s savior of Moses. Mm -hmm. And in the fullness of time, he's Mm -hmm. going to bring back and then he's going to lead him out, mm-hmm. which is exactly what's happening in like this much of the scriptures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like not just for 400 years, not just for 40, not just for 80, but for this long, God's people are enslaved to sin. Mm. They're constantly getting in trouble. They're constantly on enemy and rival territory. They're constantly being oppressed. And in the fullness of time, Jesus comes. Yeah. Yeah. It would be nice to not have to have a situation like Exodus 2, 23, and 24. Right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'd be nice, but that God's and His sovereign wisdom mm-hmm. and plan has determined that, unfortunately, I mean, this is not to excuse any human evil, but yeah. God determined that African Americans would go through slavery mm-hmm. and be emancipated and then go through Jim Crow and now go through this sufferings that they're going through. Um, <clears throat> and it's not an excuse to any human evil, 
but God has a purpose and a plan in it that he's mm-hmm. accomplishing and bringing through it and justice will be satisfied just as it was yeah. for the Israelite people and just as it was in the person of Christ on the cross and mm-hmm. yeah and I think that's huge right because I don't I mean I don't know the answers I don't I would say we all would say we don't know why that, why that happens I mean yes the glory of God um, but the fact here in uh, verse uh, 25 and God knew, like, like Jesus really does know, right? Mm-hmm. The cross, the resurrection, like, like he knows the story of Exodus. He knows what it means to be brought low and meant to be raised high. Like, and so, right, man, we could take so much comfort in while the world seems like it's burning all around us that God knew. God knows. And this is a tension, too, that sets up Jesus later, right? So Moses is a type of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, this, mm-hmm. you know, this priestly mm-hmm. sort of presence that mm-hmm. come, is able to mediate the relationship between his people and God. And, and, and so he goes to the mountain and gets the law and communes with God and all this mm-hmm. stuff. But there's tension here is that he doesn't have any street cred with these people. Yeah. I mean, he, I, I think he develops that uh, through things that he does, but he doesn't have any street cred at the beginning. And so does, unlike Jesus... Does he really know they're suffering? Mm. I think that's the big question in this early couple chapters is, mm-hmm. does he really know what it's like to be a slave? Mm-hmm. He doesn't because yeah. he was in Pharaoh's court his whole upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Jesus knows what it's like. He says he sympathizes with our needs. And so Jesus knows what it's like to experience slavery, which is an interesting thing. He has to know what it's like, mm-hmm. what it's like to experience that type of um, slavery and suffering. And so that to me is why it's encouraging to read this in light of the gospel because if it's just Exodus, it's still not all that encouraging. Mm-hmm. To me, it's not. Yeah. You know? Because then it is distant God just waiting for the suffering to culminate to the fullness of time. Yeah. But if the fullness of time isn't seen as Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, fully embodying, yeah. knowing, then it's well, discouraging. You only have to read a few chapters past the Exodus to see the people of Israel out in the desert like, we want to go back to Egypt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> was so the Exodus right itself was not, yeah. not it. There was something. The Exodus was pointing to something greater. Right. And so yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like so, so did Moses really know what their slavery was like? I mean, you hit at that. No. no, no. But what I find really encouraging, especially as a as a white guy who's trying to follow Jesus in the midst of a beautiful conversation about social justice and what needs to happen within the church. What I find really encouraging is that Moses' attempt to go identify with this people in slavery and his attempt to be with them and to understand them, even though like he totally screws it up, right? Like commits murder, which I which is bad, and, and he didn't know what they were like, which is bad. Even though he screws it up, the author of Hebrews looks at his attempt as faithful. Mm-hmm. This is what this is what Hebrews says. By faith. When he was grown up, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Hmm. He screwed up, but his attempt, at least, seems to be rewarded and be called faithful. Which I'm like, dude, as I seek to engage with uh, Mm -hmm. conversations about social justice and the long shadow of American slavery on the church Mm -hmm. that we're still in, I feel like everything that I want to say and think is probably wrong in some nuanced way. Yeah. And the example that Moses can enter in and screw up mm-hmm. and still have the, the author of Hebrews says, hey, that was faithful. Yeah. Like, that gives me hope to be like, hey, I can engage in these conversations oh, and say some wrong yeah. things, but like, I think it'll be by faith that I do these things. Yeah, yeah dude, mm-hmm. pressing in. Pressing yeah. in is good, man. I think, dang, that's really good. This is helpful. I mean, this is along the same line to the things I've been thinking for the sermon on Sunday. Um, yeah. What about on that point that Cole just said? Because we work together at a, and you're like you're the minority at our job. <laughs> how 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 has that experience been? Like pressing in and um you know honestly it's like a kind of a reflection of what i've been trying to do here today it's like i'm just trying to learn and be quiet sometimes you know i feel like my my voice is is loud enough and like 
I don't need to define this conversation, you know, about slavery and injustice. Like, I just need to shut up and, like, and hear and listen and try to grasp for a little bit of understanding and, you know, what it is to to be a minority and what it is to, yeah, you know, to not be, you know, yeah, the white dude. So it's really good for me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I've, I've learned a ton working in our, our coffee shop and huh. yeah uh, I don't know yeah that was good yeah, yeah. <laughs> um in that same vein how should how should how should this inform the way we respond to suffering to other people's suffering or our own suffering yes yes oh mm. so I think our, well, okay, so I'll just, uh, the, our own suffering, I feel like I already said that. The other people's suffering, the thing I'm, the thing I'm encouraged with with Exodus is that God is not re- liberating them from their suffering uh, as an end of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, because one of the things you see in Exodus is that they escape captivity uh, in Egypt, but then the theme of being captivity to their sin is starts to get developed, which is then explored pretty fully in the New Testament. Dude, that's good. Mm-hmm. And so if you're liberated from physical circumstances, that's still not the end. Mm-hmm. You're not home yet. And so if I'm talking with somebody about suffering, listen, hopefully. Hopefully I'll listen. Um, but my hope for them isn't just to get them out of their circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one of the main arcs of uh, all of Scripture is that God is is not as concerned with removing you from your circumstances mm-hmm. as he is with meeting you in those circumstances. Yes. Yeah. So that's kind of what I hope that people I talk to who are suffering, like, like okay, God wants to meet you there. Mm-hmm. I don't know how your circumstances are going to change exactly. God wants the circumstances to change. He mm-hmm. wants, you, wants you to go experience the fullness of that sort of creation, um, mm-hmm. you know, flourishing that he has clearly made us for. But we live in sin, and so mm-hmm. seeing the bondage to sin is the main thing he wants us to escape from. Dude, it's like uh, that Puritan, uh, the, what's it, the book, Valley of Vision? Yeah. Like the, the poem, yeah. Valley of Vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the God meets us in the valley. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. What do you guys think? I think looking at, uh, so going back to Moses and his, you know, uh, failing, yes, but being faithful in the in the long long run um, of seeing him being troubled by the oppression of his of his brothers, um, you know, I'm, you, I'm using my imagination with this, mm-hmm. but he just acts right. Mm-hmm. He just acts. He doesn't doesn't listen. He should have known that. Hey, because I've been chilling up in this you know comfy lifestyle, he should have known that people were not going to um, maybe take his efforts as well intended as they were as mm-hmm. as you know, uh, I need this from you. And so I, I think that's something I've, you know, I've been thankful for you know, conversations that you and I and Carlos have had as well, in, in terms of um, African Americans and their particular suffering, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I think like the first step for me, okay, what can I learn from this is for me to, to listen, yes, but then also to seek the Lord. And how do I, how do I um, address these situations? How do I help people in their suffering? Just going back to my imagination, what would it look like if Moses, instead of just running out there and beating this dude to death, what would it look like for him to have prayed, for him to sought the counsel of Yahweh? What What do you want me to do? What would that mm-hmm. What would that have looked like? Obviously, yeah. that was not in the ultimate plan of God's providence. But yeah, how will, How is my whenever I see people's suffering, if I seek the Lord first before I act, how is that going to mm-hmm. to look? Obviously, if I see somebody getting you know shot on the streets, I'm not gonna. Like okay, God, what should I do? I'm gonna call nine one one. I'm gonna you know help uh, tend to their wounds. But right. um, and, and you know, but there's people with their mental health issues and that suffering, and people suffering in mm-hmm. poverty. Um, there should be a methodical way of, of going about that and mm-hmm. saying, yeah. Lord, how do I be faithful in, in helping these people? And mm-hmm. it, all in the meantime, not being distant. Right? As we see God work His plan out for mm-hmm. helping people suffering over hundreds of years. And even though his plan is not immediate, the benefits of it are not immediately applied. Mm-hmm. He is present. Yeah. Right. Um, That's good. 
whether that be your wife who's struggling, your kids, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members. You may not have the ultimate plan, or you may know that you need to chart a course that's going to help someone walk out of suffering over three years or whatever, but being present with people in the middle of their suffering, right. I think, is huh. extremely yeah. important. Yeah, and so th- something I'd add to the conversation, too, is that the New Testament writers, even though Moses isn't infatuated with this in the Pentateuch and the way that he writes about his own experience, the New Testament writers, when they recount Moses' experience, are like, they're, they're weirdly fascinated with Moses' departure and what he left behind to be with the people. Um, so, in uh, Hebrews, the, the writers weirdly obsessed with the fact that, um, that Moses leaves behind the treasures of Egypt and the fleeting pleasures of Egypt. And in the book of Acts, Stephen references how Moses acquires and leaves behind his Egyptian education to go be with the people. So the New Testament writers are, are weirdly at least dialed into that. Yeah. And so something we should be aware of is that Moses uses and leverages his privilege to help God's people. And he will. He will use his Egyptian resources. He will use his Egyptian wealth Mm -hmm. and leverage that to save God's people out of slavery. Mm -hmm. So I hear a lot of us saying that we should do a really good job listening. I think it's really smart. I think we should also have really good specific questions though too. Like, what privilege do you see in my life and how do you think that I can leverage it to help out people who don't have that? Mm -hmm. Right, which is one of the main themes of the Gospels, right? You know, helping out the least of these and the poor and the downcast and all those. I mean, that's one of the main things. Like, love one another with the self-sacrificial love so that they'll benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. also points to Jesus. Like, what you're yeah. saying points to Jesus is that Moses, like, he, he didn't start off very, like, great. He killed somebody instead of, like, Yahweh, what should I do? Uh, but he ends up leading them out into the wilderness. And so I feel like, like it is all over Scripture, the wilderness is a big theme um, that draws out some, some pretty significant realities of being human. And I think one of the ways that we see Jesus embody this is that he's willing to go into the wilderness for us and with us. So God enters into our struggle. And I think, I think of what, you know, you're sitting and talking about, you know, I feel like, you know, I just need to listen and you're, you're entering into a world of hurt and uncertainty where you're trying to understand, which sounds a lot like empathy, you know, mm-hmm. Like, that sounds a lot like empathy, and I feel like a lot of empathy is, is entering into this sort of wilderness and lostness um, mm-hmm. of someone suffering, which is what Jesus did really well. Yeah, and it's really tempted, tempting to think that when, when you say what you said, um, you know, it's really easy to see that as passive and inactive, right. and it's not mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I see that really powerfully where I work, you know, people, you know, in physical suffering, mm-hmm. like, you know, pediatric cancers, you know, you can go in there with all the apologetic answers and all the scripture verses to quote at people. And it's not that anything would be wrong or inaccurate about any of those things mm-hmm. about to help people understand what's going on with their cancer. Mm-hmm. But when you, I, there's a, there's this uh, this guy. His name's Craig. He's one of the um, one of the uh, oh, what do they call him? Not the pastors. No, chaplains. No, chaplain. Yeah, mm-hmm. one of the hospital chaplains. I see him all the time. He's such a great guy. He's this older guy. Somebody there. <laughs> He's this older guy, and I watch him go into these rooms, and I'll, he'll be in there ministering to the families um, while I'm, you know, hanging meds and doing different things like that. And just watching him just sit there with these people and listen to them yeah. mm-hmm. and talk with them, I'm like, you know, listening and empathizing with people is not is not doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot yeah. of times people think that that's what it is. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's just your excuse to not do right. what you were talking about. Uh-huh. But it's both. Uh-huh. It's both leveraging oh. our privilege but but entering into and engaging that and I think the, the scripture I think that helps nail down why listening is so <clears throat> and engage, engaging people in that way is so helpful it's 1 Corinthians 12 7 
I harp this verse all the time because to me it like blows my mind every time I listen to it. It says, um, to each is given so a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about, you know, Psalm 23 where David says that, um, that he is with me in the valley. And we're talking about God's presence with his people in the midst of suffering. How that is manifested is by people. How, when we sit with people and empathize with them, when you're in Freedom Blend and you're listening to people talk about things, you, how the, what we are doing is manifesting the presence of God. Right. Like that's how God has chosen right. to show up. It's through people, which is why church is so important. Right. Why we get together and worship together. It's why mm-hmm. we have community group. But in the midst of suffering and ministering to people who are suffering and in trying to help people who are suffering, being present and ministering to them by listening and just being there, that is literally bringing God to them. Not because we're God, but because God chooses and is happy to manifest his presence through us as we are present with them. Right. Pharrell. Crush that. That was good. (laughs) Can I ask you a question quick? I want to ask you a question. So in Exodus 22... Uh, it says, uh, this is at the beginning of the Ten Commandments chapter. It says, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Um, this is a sort of refrain that God uses mm-hmm. to, uh, he's using this to, like, it's kind of like the phrase, like, you are my, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. Mm-hmm. I am holy, you should be holy. It's kind of these, like, choruses that God uses to identify his people. It's like their identity. So part of the people of God's identity is that they were brought out of slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you wrestle through, like, there seems to be a tension here. Does God want me out of slavery, like physical oppression or circumstantial oppression, whatever? Like, does he want me out of these bad, un, you know, ungodly circumstances? Or does he want me to stay in that and then be met by him and learn some sort of deeper spiritual reality or whatever? Like, there seems to be this tension. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, does, yeah, does God want me actually out of slavery, or does He not? Do you, do you mainly because He He reminds them so much? Is that what you're saying? Well, it seems here that it's a part of their identity that they were brought out of slavery. Because I think sometimes in our conversations, because we're reformed and we have a certain soteriology that affects mm-hmm. the way we interpret reality, mm-hmm. uh, we tend to say sometimes like, I mean, I already said it earlier, uh, in the, like earlier in the conversation, like. It isn't about necessarily God getting you out of the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Or you could point to what we talked about this morning, Daniel. Yeah. Daniel could have opposed. Daniel was a slave. Right. He was a he was a he was a non-combatant prisoner of war. Ah. And he was right to the to the degree that his conscience would allow served a pagan king. Because this is what this is what regular people want to know. Right, yeah. is that because in Exodus, uh, the beginning of Exodus, they they're groaning, mm-hmm. they're yearning for God, and mm-hmm. uh, and this is why this is so powerful. I think in the future, when you start um, like black slaves, they start to lock onto this theme. They're yearning and they're groaning for this liberation from mm-hmm. chattel slavery, and then you get you get all sorts of beautiful culture out of that too, like the the blues mu- uh, movement, mm-hmm. the blues music, like that comes out of that groaning. Mm-hmm. You know, they're experiencing that, and so. You don't have reality unless you escape. Like, people want to leave their bad circumstances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the worst thing I can do to somebody is say, God wants you in those bad circumstances, period, end of story. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, I think the God, does God want us in those bad circumstances? That's the thing, is that, like, you can't read Exodus always in sort of this, like, all right, there's another layer up here, and then up here, and then up here. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 but we're still, like, in servitude to this oppressive ruler, yeah, I still have to bang on these bricks all day, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's what it comes down to. Is like you got these people singing the blues, mm-hmm. their life sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you gonna tell them? Mm-hmm. Especially me as a as a guy who's grown up with some privilege, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, what am I gonna tell somebody that's experiencing, you know, injustice? Yeah, stay there. God wants you there. Yeah, I don't think there seems to be a tension there. I don't think you would say that though. I don't know. I don't think I would say that, but it would come across, could come across that could, way yeah. or with some sloppy language. Yeah. Um, so your question is, sorry, I'm just trying to 
What's your question? Answer, ask it again. Does God want me in my slavery to produce further sanctification in it or out of slavery so that he can prove his redemptive power? My answer to that would be yes. Right. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Because when, when God does create a community out mm-hmm. of them out in the wilderness after he saves them, this is what he says underneath the section that's titled Laws About Social Justice. Oh, Laws About Social Justice. He says, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. Why not? For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Mm-hmm. You shall not mistreat any widowless or fatherless <coughs> child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, what have we learned about who God is like? Mm-hmm. Well, he says, I will surely hear their cry mm-hmm. and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword. If you're an Israelite, what you hear is, if you do to anybody else what the Egyptians did to you, I will kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's God very clearly saying, Literally. I will will those things to happen and work in them, but if you do this, mm-hmm. I don't want you to do this, and if yeah. you do this, sword. It's right. like two planes, right? It's like yeah. God working for my sanctification in the midst of suffering. God cares about my suffering. He's going to ultimately and you know, finally, when Jesus comes back, eradicate it. Right. So, um, we saw it in First Peter that yeah. we just walked through. Like, right. yeah. These trials are purifying you. James talks about mm-hmm. that as well. Mm-hmm. And he will bring you out of the suffering one way or the other. He doesn't want you to stay in suffering. Christ mm-hmm. came and died, mm-hmm. but he was also resurrected. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And so mm-hmm. he did that on our behalf so yeah. we ultimately can have that same. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so important to preach the whole counsel of God because you can't, yeah. you can't yeah. just preach, um, you know, as a, as a black dude, my, my, with, you know, with sufferings of racism and stuff in my backdrop, like my bent is to preach more of the God will deliver me out of my circumstances and save me. Mm-hmm. Um, it is much harder for me to say, okay, in the midst of this injustice, God is working for my sanctification. The scripture holds me, it, it's like has me in handcuffs. Like mm-hmm. I have to preach the whole counsel of God. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I, yeah. I think that's that's what you know, um, yeah. Preaching, preaching, seeing the, the Bible as one story, um, one theme, um, it, it it helps give me those barriers. So to answer your yeah, question. that's so, good. Um, yeah. Any I last, gonna, any I, last words? I was just gonna say that, that I think that tension is there in Philemon. Yes, mm. that's a whole another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Because of who Philemon is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but what's cool in Philemon <laughs> is verse fifteen or mm-hmm. sixteen, verse fifteen, sixteen. Philemon. Are we doing Philemon now? Oh, I don't know. We don't need to. <laughs> I mean, you can do two. No, I, yeah. <laughs> this is important because Christians need to have a, a good theology of yeah. of slavery yeah. and what's going on in the it biblical is. and yeah. writer's interpretation of that because. This is something that's being used and has been used over mm-hmm. and over to yeah. discredit the truth of Scripture and the goodness of God, mm-hmm. um, the inerrancy of Scripture, and because yeah. in our theological tradition, people have mm-hmm. misinterpreted the Bible yeah. and, and done porn to exegesis, and then as a result, used that to oppress people. Yeah. Yeah. This is important for us to get our hands on. Philemon is, the, is one of the books used to justify chattel mm-hmm. slavery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This was used to tell slaves... You better submit to your master. Because mm-hmm. yeah. Philemon's a slave. And Paul's saying, go back to your master. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm genuinely interested. How do you process Philemon? Oh, man. Um, that's really good. I don't know if I can answer that question right now. Okay. Um, I would have to sit with that, but we can definitely... I love to get coffee or something and mm-hmm. have a conversation. Um, I don't know if I can answer that right now, honestly. I would have to sit in it for a while. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm uncomfortable ending in that session, so somebody, somebody <laughs> answer that. Yeah. So yeah. one of the one um, ways that scholars handle this and try to make sense of this is, so finally, in, in the social hierarchy, he is a slave. Yeah. So it would have... If Paul were to say Philemon go about, someone else could pick up could pick up Onesimus mm-hmm. and oppress him and be rulers. The hard, the, even the hard, so the other layer of this is that 
this, that Philemon is a believer, mm-hmm. Paul is a believer, and Paul is saying, Philemon, you need to take him back. Onesimus, you need to go back. Mm-hmm. And so one way that, that people interpret this is it's, it's, going to be the mo- it's going to be the most beneficial thing for Onesimus in the end if he is under the care of a compassionate Christian who is not going to abuse him, who's not going to hmm. sell him again for mm-hmm. further um, oppression or abuse. Yeah. Um, and so this, this is why having understanding the different, um, you know, one of the, Carlos, one of the things that, that we looked at that Eric Mason video is mm-hmm. properly understanding each instance of slavery in the, in the Bible, mm-hmm. not just let's, slavery let's as a Let's link that video at the bottom. Yeah, because yeah. it's really good. Yeah, and, and what I think is really powerful is in verse 15 and 16, it says, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you may have him back forever, no longer mm-hmm. as a slave, mm-hmm. but more than a slave. Mm-hmm. As a beloved brother. Yeah, because he becomes a believer, right? After mm-hmm. he leaves, and, yeah. and Paul saying, "Hey, Christ has changed you." Mm-hmm. This is this is now this is the hard truth for me. Mm-hmm. It'll be like, "What? So I got to go back because Christ, you know, because mm-hmm. Christ, I've been changed by by Christ." Um, oh gosh, dude. Right, because if you if you read that surface level, there's so many things that seem to contradict that in the Bible, like yeah. in Romans, where it's like we're no longer slaves. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So that would seem to fly in the face of what Paul's rights elsewhere. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. are you going back to being a slave? That's not. That's why what Andrew's saying is so important to understand. Yeah. What, what we get, let's get behind that. Like, mm-hmm. what does he mean by saying slave, and what mm-hmm. is the relationship yeah. between master and slave? And this is a perfect example. Of what does it look like to use your privilege to right. help? For the betterment of of someone who was suffering. Like, yes. Like, right. Yes. Like this. Like. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. I mean, but but just like you touched on Snowden, and like if you if you bring what Self and Snowden said together, it really forms a beautiful picture of even what's happening in near ancient, like near 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 Eastern ancient forms of slavery that were forms of protection back then Mm -hmm. is that even those forms of slavery that meant to be a protection that society are still not spoken of in the scriptures as the ideal right yeah even in times where it's necessary for a short period of time for the protection Mm -hmm. freedom is still the ideal Mm -hmm. well just like in the same way that when jesus is talking to pharisees he talks about divorce not being the ideal, but as a way to take care of the women who, if they were divorced and they were just mm-hmm. sent off, they would be unmarriable mm-hmm. and they would have no legal mm-hmm. protection. Yeah, and so it's, exactly right. it's this understanding of God knows the world has fallen. He knows that humanity has become corrupt by sin and by death. And so he has particular ways for people to live with one another for their protection. And so like, you can get into all the, like Exodus 21 as a protection for people who are who were slaves, mm-hmm. whether it be where they sold themselves into slavery to pay off a debt or they had no way, they were just going to be poor forever and they needed to get out of that pit, they would they would mm-hmm. enter into to slavery. Right. And so God is saying, while you have these people who are slaves, if you dehumanize them, I'm going to, I'm going to enact justice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you beat a slave and the slave dies, you're going to be put to death. If you um, treat slaves in this way, then the same is going to be done to mm-hmm. you. Don't don't steal slaves. That's not what, it's, what we're talking about. And, That's right. And even in the Old Testament, so like Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy and Exodus, uh, some of our translations say buying slaves. That's not what the the original word would mean to acquire. Mm-hmm. Right? So you're not necessarily even purchasing someone and making them your slave, but you're acquiring them as a slave for a particular purpose. They're still created in the image of God. Don't dehumanize them. Mm-hmm. Don't don't destroy people who are my image bearers. Yeah. Right. People stealing for personal and corporate exploitation is condemned flatly in the scripture yeah. by Paul in First Timothy. The law was not laid down for the godly, but for the ungodly, the sexual immorals, <clears throat> and the enslavers. Mm-hmm. The kidnappers. Yeah, that's right. The enslavers. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's it's so crazy to me that people um, in our Reformed, in our Baptist tradition would read Philemon and justify it and ignore Exodus 21. Mm-hmm. Ignore Deuteronomy 24. Yeah, or I mean, just ignore the statement that... Right. More than <laughs> or a ignore the, the actual, the actual text. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's why you, you can read your Bible and still be an idiot about the truth of God. Yeah. <laughs> you can still willfully no, ignore yeah. what you want to willfully ignore. Yeah, That's you satanic. Yeah. 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 The same thing right. happens with marriage. You know, yes. The power dynamics in marriage between men and women. The submit verses end up getting used uh-huh. as a as a club against women, despite the fact that they're in the context of being told to die to yourself. Yep. Like and the culture around them is against women, and so Paul says, <coughs> "Love your wives, 
love them as Christ loved the church because no one else is going to take care of your life. Yeah. You were the sole response. You were solely responsible for the well-being of your life. Mm-hmm. Like, so the Lord provides protection for those who have less social value or less um, who are lower in the social hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, any last words? Thanks for leading us, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, this is fun. I think we just got started. We're all riled up now. Hit record. Let's start this. Sweet. Sweet. Um, Luke, you want to end us in prayer? Sure. Sweet. God, we thank you that um, we are no longer slaves to sin mm-hmm. <coughs> because Jesus Christ has died for us and paid that penalty for us. God, we pray that by your grace um, that we would be faithful as your people to honor your image in all humanity and that um, you would help us to use our privilege and your spirit within us to uh, serve and love one another and not engage or further the practice of, of harming your image in others. God, I pray that you'd help us to, as a church, to to find ways to minister to uh, minority community minorities in our community. And God, I pray that we would be faithful lovers of all all of your children. That we might um, just that we might be effective ministers of your gospel and reflect the love of Christ and the fact that he is the true and better deliverer of your people than Moses or any of your Old Testament saints. God, I pray that you'd help us to do that. I don't, I don't know how to do that. Um, I don't think any of us have a clue how to do that perfectly. But I just pray that we would be like Moses and that we'd, we'd do our best and that you would um, use our efforts to accomplish good fruit not only for us but for those we're seeking to serve and to and to bless through our ministry here it's in jesus name we pray and ask this amen yeah.